back to a two-man show this week, but we got two weeks worth of content to cover. So strap in for episode 47 of the Indie Ball Report podcast. We're back again, episode number 47. Woo, the big four seven. We are about a week away from having a one-year anniversary Ooh. show. We'll talk more about that at the end of the show. Don't miss our anniversary. I'll be so upset. I see the week off has not done anything to dampen your spirits. Oh, no, not at all. Reinvigorated. In any case, as you guys probably realized, we released our second half of the show with Will, and we didn't get much time, if any, to really talk about the whole show we did with him, but it was a really fun time. I really enjoyed it. I sure you did as well oh absolutely i mean it was a fantastic time will's a really insightful guy it was great to have him here and uh, i'm look for looking forward to having him on uh, again and maybe some other guys uh, in the future yeah no definitely i definitely want to get more other guys on there will definitely knows this stuff and we all obviously want to get more opinions and more things talking and from the reception it seems like a lot of people enjoyed it so it's definitely something that we're going to look to do again. I'm sure he'd love to be back on. We'd love to have him back on. So maybe when we get a bit close to the start of the Atlantic League season, when we do our whole uh, ALPB preview, that may be a good time to get him back on. Yep. That or even just early in the season or just throughout the year. I'm sure we'll definitely have him back on again, though. So Absolutely. Yep. So be on the lookout for that. Yep. And then just again... Thanks to Will for coming on. We really enjoyed having him on. Yeah, absolutely. Big thank you. And moving forward, I think, uh, you know, everyone's got to jump over to ALPB News once in a while because there's a lot of good content he puts out on there. Yep, 100%. Any case, so we got two weeks worth of news to get into. So I suppose we should just dive right in on that to try and get moving there. Really, I separated this into several chunks, so we kind of had to block stories together. Otherwise, we'd be here for four hours, and I don't think anyone wants to hear us talk about baseball for four hours. Hey, what do you mean? That is, unless you just binge the show, in which case, then good for you. Weekly chunks, folks. Weekly chunks. Exactly. Now, we'll jump into the first chunk of news here. The new coaches around independent league baseball. Some of them are familiar faces. Some of them aren't as familiar. And last week, it was announced that Ellie Rodriguez will again helm the Road Warriors. He last held them the last time they existed when we were waiting for High Point to come in. They managed a 29-97 record, so not exactly good, but obviously we know the challenge that are associated with the Road Warriors team. Yeah, under under the circumstances, that's actually probably a pretty good record. Um, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, he did it before. He's really a class act, uh, an old-fashioned baseball guy. You know, and I wish him the best of luck. It's a difficult challenge, and I think that he's the right man for this job right now, undoubtedly. Exactly. He's qualified. He played professional ball for 18 years, played over 700 games in the majors, made two all-star games, so he's qualified as a ball player. When he hasn't been managing, at least for the past 15 years, he's been the player development consultant for the league, mainly trying to scout and recruit Latin American players. So he's been doing that for quite some time. He's a qualified guy. He knows how to manage. He knows the system. He can work it. you got to keep tempered expectations here for the, uh, oh, for the Atlantic League and for the Road Warrior team. It's a very good league. It's a very high-quality league. They're going to wind up in the division that had High Point, that had Long Island, that had Somerset, and that is a hitter, not, not hitter's row, Somerset's in there. Yeah, and well. It's a killer row, though. You oh, have yeah. some of the best teams there. Obviously, Somerset, not a good second half, but High Point and Long Island both made the postseason. All three teams were really in the heat of it for uh, that first half and definitely could turn around and continue to be good again. So if you're going to be playing a lot of games against them, 
you got to capitalize against, well, really only Lancaster and Southern Maryland were the kind of low totems on the other side. But even right. then, they weren't really bad teams. They no. underperforming more than anything else. And I, I think both Lancaster, so I think Lancaster, Somerset, and Southern Maryland are all looking to rebound, or at least are in good position to rebound for this upcoming season. Um, so I think that it's going to be a scary situation that the Road Warriors find themselves in because the whole league looks to be well, in pretty good shape so far. Obviously, with the rule changes that could kind of tinker with things as we talked about ad nauseum the last two weeks um so i'm sure everyone's tired of hearing about that but the the one thing that i will say is that this is an extremely difficult challenge i think uh rodriguez is absolutely the guy for the job here I, uh, like you said tons of experience he's done this exact thing before which yep. is so unique and i just think that having him there is going to really allow these players uh, to at least have someone who's in their corner because it's so difficult to do that job, to, to, to play in the Atlantic League or Independent League Baseball, as we've talked about many times overall. But to do it in this way is really difficult. So to hire anybody but him would seem foolhardy to me because you need someone who the players can rely on and trust and that has done this before and understands the very, very different circumstances that this ball club is, will be playing under. Exactly. Plus, you have to keep in mind, you're not going to be getting a, a pretty standard manager. You're not going to get a guy that maybe got fired from another team this past year or anything like that to come in here. Guys like that, they will want stability here. But when you have a guy like Ellie, he understands the circumstances. He understands it's going to be a real kind of a ragtag bunch that's probably going to be switching an awful lot more so than usual throughout the year. And that this is a, the definition of a temporary position. It's a one and done type thing. So you're not going to get a younger guy or a guy that wants to continue to build off of that. So he is he is a great pick for this. I have no problems with that. Again, it's what it is with the Road Warrior team. 35 wins could be called a very good year for them. And it may seem surprising that such a few amount would be. But again, for people that don't really realize, it's very difficult. There is no home games. Every game's a hotel game. It's constantly going from here to there, from here to there. It's even more travel than usual. The only break they're going to get is like the two to four day break they're going to get for that all-star time. Uh, outside of that, nothing. Even then, they don't really have, you know, like a host family area to be around or whatever. I assume you may go back to wherever you're living at the time, but even still, does it really pay off to go back for like two days and then have to come back? Probably not. So you don't really have a home there. So it makes it very difficult there. Yeah, you're in flux. You're always traveling. It's a difficult situation. Obviously, we all wish the league didn't have to do this. Um, but with the league now having to do this because of, obviously, the New Britain Bees leaving, uh, leaving this void here, this is necessary. Uh, and, and it almost makes me wish that they would have allowed New Britain to be in the league or worked out just a one-year deal um, so that the Road Warriors hadn't have had to be in this situation. Because I think it is uh, somewhat degradating to the league's overall performance and play, but there's not much you can do at this point. So I wish them the best of luck and good for Ellie Rodriguez to continue to keep managing and at least he has an opportunity here uh, to do some good for the Atlantic League. Exactly. So, I mean, I think with that, we can move to the next uh, coaching position change in the Atlantic League. It's over to Somerset. Ty Wright is back. He is the third base and hitting coach. He's been a hitting coach since he left Somerset and kind of retired since 2015. That being the Cubs organization, rookie ball, high A ball, that kind of general thing. Been a decent hitter. He guided Myrtle Beach last year to a top 
hitting position in the uh, Carolina League. So he knows what he's doing there. Be interesting to see how he kind of transitions to independent league baseball and how that goes. Appears, at least for now, that the rest of the Pat staff will return. So Brett Jody and company will all be back as well. So that is how that shakes out. As far as a hire, that's hard to say. He has about three years, four years of uh, experience coaching. I think this would probably, at least in my opinion, be the highest uh, level of hitter he's going to coach because most of these guys are double-A quality talent, I'd say, as opposed to high-A, probably some triple-A and even some former major leaguers in there as well. So it's going to be interesting to see how he kind of adjusts adjusts to that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that obviously it's a a very difficult uh, thing to do uh, when you're, or it's at least an uphill battle when you're dealing with Somerset's offense and their struggles last year that have been well-documented. Of course, I think the main thing for him to key on is timely hitting, um, making sure that the roster that is compiled for this year fits with a philosophy that he's trying to impose hitting-wise. Last year, they had a get him on, get him over, get him in. It was kind a small of ball type. It was a small ball type lineup. And I, I mean, I think that can still succeed in today's game, particularly in the Atlantic League. I think there's a chance that can succeed. However, I think you have to have the guys that fit that ideology uh hitting wise and i don't know if that's what they had they had some guys who were you know kind of grip it and rip it type of players last year and they weren't gonna you know drop a bunt down and you know get on base Mm -hmm. so and and so it wasn't gonna work when some of the you know when you had two or three guys that were just pulling the whole lineup so i i think very much they need to spread it out and i think his big goal will need to make sure that gets everybody on the same page and there's one type certain type of philosophy hitting wise that he's going for that everyone can center around I agree with that. I think they really do kind of need to get in lockstep there. You're pretty spot on there saying that they've had one mentality, but yet they didn't have the personnel to pull that off. Obviously, they're not in the position where you can always go out and get like a bunch of slap hitters or whatever it may be. So you kind of got to work with what you got there. But even still, you need to do better. You need to perform better than that. You got to adapt to the personnel you have at the very least. And they didn't do that. Like you said, a guy like Espinal is not going to be punting. A guy like Will Kanger would be a misuse to bunt. I mean, when you go through it, who else is really there hitting? I mean, you could argue Paredes, but he really wasn't there that long, so it's not really fair there. And we've been through the struggle of the Patriots and their hitting. It's kind of well known, if you know independently baseball, that they can't hit and that they rely solely on their pitching, pushing one, maybe two runs across, and then praying to God that nothing else bad happens. Because if they give up more than that, they're done. Yeah, they, they hold on. The hold on for dear life mentality needs to change, and it's not necessarily. And, and the thing is, is that he has to be open to molding his philosophy around his roster. Last year, they should have had more of a power focused, uh, you know, philosophy towards hitting and really trying to, uh, you know, manufacture runs with power. Uh, and instead, they still tried to do their usual yeah. get them on, get them over, get them in, and it didn't really work. So again, it, it needs to be that happy medium of mixing batting philosophy with uh, production that can be met by the players. Exactly, because coaching is a lot like teaching. I mean, they're basically cousins at this point. And sometimes, as a teacher does, when you see the class you have, you try the way you've been teaching for the past however many semesters or years, and you go, this class just isn't receptive to it. Same thing with a roster. Sometimes the philosophy that you know, you got to adapt it a little bit to change to fit the roster. 
And I know Somerset does like the kind of slap hitting. Their ballpark isn't what I'd call hitter friendly. No. Um, so being a power hitter does hurt you. You need, if you are going to be a power hitter, you need to have at least some speed there so you can turn a long single into a double. Yep. And so I understand the desire to go small ball because some of that should be a home run in other parks. It's just a double here. And then that doesn't really help you push a run across. You runs matter. That's how you win a game. Yeah. And so I get that. But at the same time, you need to have the right personnel and use the right guys. Uh, so far, as we'll talk a little bit about the guys they brought back, it seems like they're going to still go with the more of a small ball approach, which, fair enough. If that's what you feel like you need to do, then you, you do that. I mean, there's only been about three guys so far they've signed, so it's really hard to even say that much. Right, yeah. But even still, if you're going to do that, Make sure that you go all in on that and you make that work because it's not one of those things that come June, July. We go, okay, we're not hitting for average. We're not getting on base. We're not drawing walks. We're not, right. you know, it's a lot of two outcome type thing here. If that's the case, at that point, you're too. it's too late. You can't correct it. The time to correct that is in April. The time to correct that is early May when the season first starts because after the first two weeks, yeah, your ass is going to turn over a lot, but you're not going to really have this giant wide-reaching selection to kind of pick from. So I hope they know what they're doing. I expect that they do. They're a qualified organization all the way around, so there's no reason to suspect they won't. Yep, no reason to suspect they won't. And like like you said, all that is correct. It's, you know, if they want to do the small ball game, that's worked for them in the past. They've won league titles with that in the past. They're going to have to just get the guys to fit, and that's all the best they can. And that's his job is to get guys to understand hitting for average and taking walks. You know, a walk is as good as a hit is a hard thing to tell someone who's trying to scrape back into exactly you know, the, the minor leagues and then the major leagues. So it's, uh, it's a difficult road ahead, but hopefully I wish him the best of luck. And I know the Patriots are a great organization. Because that's a good point. A lot of the organizations have that kind of 1A, 1B type thing where it's like we want to move guys back there because they'll help us get more guys in and, you know, that's ultimately the goal here. But at the same time, their goal is to also make money and if you're not providing a, you know, uniquely amazing experience, which for a lot of these teams just due to the budget reasons, it's very difficult to do that. I mean, there's no way that any sort of independent league team can put on the same type of performance that you're going to see at, you know, Madison Square Garden. That's just not going to be a possibility. That's your 1B. you got to get people in. You presumably by winning is a way to attract them in there to provide on good things here. And guys striking out is not only not entertaining, it's also not going to help you win. When you have to balance that, we want to win. We want to be entertaining with the, we do want to move our guys along because if we're not moving them along, then we're not going to get the high quality talent, which means we're not going to succeed in our kind of secondary goal. Then, you know, it's a very difficult position to be in, I think. When you hire guys like this and you hire the staff there, it puts them also in a tough position because it's a lot more difficult than being in, you know, a regular either MILB or in some cases, major league position where it's very clear what your role is. MILB, develop the guys that are here so that way they can move to that next level. If you win, that's great, but that's not really what's important here. At least that's what the stated purpose of the affiliated leagues are. Major league is very clear. Your purpose is to win. It's it's about as clear as day there. Yep, there's no no questioning there. So yeah, no, you're you're right, and it is this weird middle ground between you've got to win games, but also by the same token you have to develop guys, and it's this very weird mix that doesn't really, you know, that again lends itself as I said before to challenges 
And I think he will have his work, like I said, cut out for him just because it's it's so difficult with the way that the ballpark set up and the way that everything is moving forward, building off of last year. Exactly. So I'm going to go now to uh, the American Association. They had a major coaching shift around January 17th, if I'm correct, in with the Milwaukee Milkmen. This is the second year of play. They've had some problems with their field. We mentioned that a little bit ago. I believe it was not the last two shows, but the show before we recorded with Will, we were trying to get them to name it Indie Ball Report Field. That's correct. That yeah. is still a thing. I'd still like to see the Milkmen name their field after us, I suppose. Absolutely. In any case, they got a little bit of an issue as they fired all but one of their staff from last year in the dugout. The only holdover was the assistant coach, Anthony Barone. He will now be the manager of the club. They brought in three new coaches, though. Uh, the new hitting coach will be Matt Passarella. Uh, Wade Taylor will be the pitching coach. And Roger Fegan will be the new assistant coach there. Passarelli, he was the hitting coach with Sioux City from 2015-2019. And he was a top three offense in the American Association for the five years there. So he's a very successful guy. They won a couple of division titles while during his time there as well. So he's a guy that knows how to hit. Hell, Somerset should have hired him too. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you know. get two or three, uh, you know, hitting coaches in couldn't be a bad thing. Really? I mean, how bad could it be? Yeah. Uh, any case, so then we see Taylor. He is an ex major leaguer. He only had 23 games, but still is a major leaguer nonetheless. Uh, he has 20 years of scouting experience. He started in about the mid 90s after he retired in 93. So I think he started in 94, 95, right around there. Finally scouted for the last time in 2017. He's been with the Yankees, the Diamondbacks, the Dodgers, a lot of various different teams, but he was a scout for them, so presumably he knows what he's doing. Presumably. Yep. And then we have Fegan, who's been a private coach for the past 15 years, so kind of just like you see with the the anchor type thing, Mm -hmm. you know, a bunch of private coaches. We see a bunch of them and whatnot. Yep. He was basically that for a while. Now he is going to be a, a coach for a team. So that's how that shakes out there in Milwaukee. I like the hitting coach. Pitching coach is a bit 50-50. And an assistant coach, I mean, he's an assistant coach, so I'm not really sure what his responsibilities are. But he seems like he knows what he's doing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, the hitting coach, like you said, I liked. But my big question is, what is, so it's Barone, right? Is it with that I be? believe it's Barone. Barone. B-A-R-O-N-E. Yeah, so Barone. I mean, what did he do to not get fired? I mean, what is this, like, kind of... He was an uh, assistant coach. Richard- that means he was a low guy in the tiers. So you go, look, I was just doing the job of the other three. What is this Richard the Third kind of move to the top? No, I mean, obviously... Yeah. Uh, obviously... Clearly they saw something they... Clearly they saw yeah. something they liked. And I-, I always like to promote from within. I think that is a very good philosophy for these ball clubs because once players get comfortable with him and the organization gets comfortable with a specific guy, sometimes that can really help you you more so than go and find somebody else out and then you got to start all over again so i do think that having uh bringing in a guy to helm the ship that's been there is is not a is not a bad idea especially because the organization is brand new and so you don't necessarily want a complete turnover from year Uh, one i mean that's the thing that kind of surprised me i know they had a bad year like record wise but they had a tough year in that their stadium wasn't ready for opening day so they had to play the first few games in kokomo indiana you know not really close to milwaukee and we've heard my uh, feelings on kokomo indiana there's quite literally nothing there no offense to the people of kokomo but it's not exactly a densely populated region yeah it's not a thriving metropolis by any means not by any stretch 
I understand it was a rough year. I understand you had the whole routine field lawsuit thing going on in the background, too. So for GMs and the kind of front office staff, that's there and it's weighing your mind because it is your responsibility for if you're team president, if you're a GM, all that does affect it, especially, too, if you're ownership. And so I get that aspect. And I understand you underperformed on the field. But at the same time, does that justify firing 75% of your staff after year one? That seems a bit extreme. Like, I would have said, okay, it was not a great year, but you were an expansion team. We're still trying to find our feet. They did what we expected High Point to do. Now, High Point was a different situation. Jamie Keefe and Billy Horn and everybody that's associated with them did a fantastic job, and they found some really big hits like Richette and all of them. Because those guys are... But those guys are of a different league, a different class almost, in terms of player recruitment, player development, all those things. You know, uh, Keefe is out of his mind. And so you've got that, and, and like you said... It's a great point. What do you mean? They were playing in Indiana, and then all of a sudden they got shipped off back to Milwaukee to finish the season. And it's just like they had such a tumultuous first year to to add to that tumultuous nature of this. And now extending into the second year really is not a a move I would have made from a strategical standpoint. Exactly. Plus, they weren't even the worst team in their league. I mean, that that distinguished genre go to, I believe it's the Texas Airhawks who won, I believe, about 30 games. But they have never really been what one may qualify as good. Uh, Bando did not have a good first year as manager, but no one really has in the past like half a decade. So I can't put so much of that on him. I mean, they've not been... So there's a lot going on with them, and that would be something we'll talk about eventually when we get to the point where we're previewing the season and whatnot, and we'll go into more depth of it then, but any in any event, it definitely does seem odd. Like, I always said, okay, it was an underperforming year, but you're on an expansion team, you, know, you get a year break there, this year we need to see improvement, if we don't see improvement, then we're going to have to discuss this. And I would have given at least one more year. I f- I never liked the idea of firing a manager or firing staff after one year because it's very difficult to see what they can do in one year. A lot of times, especially with coaching, especially with development, and just, I mean, that's definitely what the case is here. You're developing an organization. You're developing players. You're The whole system being implemented, it takes more than one year to do that. It takes several years to physically implement it. I mean, if you look at the successful teams across independent league baseball, they're pretty much running with no more than four or five managers in their history, of which most of them are between 10 to 20 years. So, I mean, that's not terrible if you have two managers in 10 years. Right. It's, it's what we talked about before, like the, with the Patriots. They instilled a philosophy. So that's what needed to happen. And that the beginnings of that was last year. So the, the entire staff, the 75% of the staff that was fired was putting in that philosophy. And now that philosophy has just been told, get on out of here. Let's get a brand new one in here. And if you have any returning players, all of this has gone so fast, their head is going to spin. It's, it's, it's not exactly the greatest move at this point in time, I don't think. I think it's a little bit too quick for what I would like. Exactly. It's a very quick gun. Plus, there's an optics perspective. If you keep gunning people like that, if you keep going that quick, it's going to be hard to get people to want... Um, it's not going to be easy, I should say. It won't be hard because there's always people that want a job coaching, that want a job in baseball. But at the same time, it won't necessarily be easy to uh, get the high-quality guys in there because they're going to go, I have such a short leash oh, yeah. that you know I, I can't do anything with. Plus, 
there's an object to the public where you keep gunning people left and right. I mean, we've talked about this before, where a lot of these teams are part of the communities they are in. And so the best way to kind of do that is find stability in the one area you know for certain you will find stability in, and that is the coaching staff. Absolutely. I mean, look at Somerset. Yep. They've had, what, three managers in their history? Maybe only two. I think just Sparky Lyle and Brett Jody. I think that's it. I thought there was one person in between. Uh, there might have been an in-between. I'm I, not sure. I can't recall their name. I don't remember. And I'm blanking on it, and some Somerset fan is going to tell me as soon as I post this in the comments underneath the Instagram post. I mean, please do. I forgot. Eh, yeah. I forgot. But, okay, so yeah, three. Exactly. And yeah. so, and they have all pretty much stick with the same, stuck with the same philosophy. So, like you said, it's, it's a quick gun, and it's going to have ramifications if they keep doing it. Now, if Barone... Is, if he figures know, it out, if he figures it out, and he's the dude, then he's the dude, and everything's okay. But if he's not going to be their guy, oh, you know, if they have three different managers in their first three years of existence. Oh boy! Exactly. And once again, I don't want someone to stick with a guy that they don't believe in. If he's not your guy, and you don't think he's going to become your guy, then get rid of him. Absolutely. But at the same time, it's very hard to tell if he's going to be your guy after one season you need time for them to mature as a manager to get to that point and unless there's something else going on behind the scenes where it just wasn't a tenable relationship anymore that could I, be yeah. which i don't want to speculate is because i don't know yeah we don't know but, but that could be exactly if, if that's the case then yeah obviously if you can't work with the guy then you can't keep him on but you know without knowing that it just appears as though you said eh it wasn't a good year there's a lot of problems let's get a fresh start yeah obviously that's not a good thing but if you if it is because of behind the scenes things there's nothing to really do at that point exactly so i think now we'll move on to the final uh transaction staff wise and talk about how Cam Routh got hired by the Detroit Tigers organization that be the Lake Erie manager and he has now been replaced by Dan Ron. Dan Ron was the manager of the Trafford City Beach Bums. What has he done? He managed to well manage the team from 14 to 18. He won the Frontier League Championship in 2015, uh, and he has a career record as a manager of 216 and 259. Not the greatest, but not the worst. His best season came at a 55 and 39 record. So he will be in there now. He brings in a new staff with him. We'll talk about them in just a second after we get your thoughts on Dan Ron. I think it's a good hire, right? I mean, I think if, first of all, congratulations uh, to, is it Roth? That's Roth. Uh, Roth got hired Roth, by Detroit. Yes, congratulations yeah. to Roth for heading off to Detroit. Um, and I think this is a good hire for them. I think if you've got to get somebody new in there, experience is always the way I would go, especially with coaching, especially at this level. You need to have somebody who understands league, understands how things work, understands how to develop players in this very, again, like we said, very difficult, uh, you know, kind of tight wire, uh, act mm. where you're sometimes player development. Sometimes you got to push the guy to try to win the game. So it's, Again, a very difficult situation, so always experience is better, and he did win, like you said, uh, the title, so it's definitely uh, important to have that type of value in the coach. So Exactly. I like it, too. There's experience. He knows the league, which is important here. He's only been out of that league for one season, so it's not like it's going to be totally foreign to him. They go from a manager of the year, Cam Roth, to Dan Ron, who is a, certainly a qualified guy. Obviously, Traverse City wasn't always the best team, so that affects the record overall. You just you detract that. When he has a good team, he does well. When he doesn't, he manages to get the most out of them, so I do like that. 
What I do like a little bit more, though, is the Sapphires. Greg Cataret will be in there, too. He was the uh, pitching coach with Ron in Traverse City for five years. So his tenure there, I believe, would be he only had Greg there with him. As for his batting coach, four years of a head scout for independent leagues for the Baltimore Orioles. So now he makes the shift into coaching. This is a beautiful hire. I really like him for player acquisition reasons because he clearly has scouted other leagues. He clearly knows the talent. He knows the regulations, the rules there. So he can kind of almost be a proto manager type as well. And more than that, though, he knows what to look for to be a successful independent league player and a guy that organizations are going to want to try and get the contracts from. And that's going to be something that's going to help you bring in a lot of talent, too. So I really do like Powell being brought in. Absolutely. I like Powell as well. I think that's the move that really could add to their success. One, you've, you you talked about it. That's the absolutely the uh, allure of having a guy there who's a scout, former scout, mm-hmm. and will be able to kind of pick out the best talent and then teams will go, okay, well, he knows how to pick out the best talent, so we'll just take his guys and we'll bump them into our organization. So that right there is a good piece. But the other piece that I really like is also the player development portion of it because he will understand a lot of the guys and have scouted a lot of the guys that will be playing for him. And so, therefore, he'll have a really good opportunity to understand their strengths and weaknesses and really hone in on uh, where some of those guys are struggling at the plate. Oh, absolutely. I, I think there's a lot here that I do like and all those reasons too. Plus, that's going to help a lot and give Lake Erie an edge on those five new Can-Am teams that have come into the league too. Because a lot of these guys, well, I'm sure they're familiar with them. I'm sure they know them. I mean, they were essentially sister leagues for a while too. So there's familiarity there. Right. But he, that was his job for a while to scout the Can-Am, to scout the Frontier, to scout the American Association, the Pacific Association, the Atlantic League, whatever league it may be. It was his job to do that. So definitely like that higher. And with that, we can kind of move on to some signings here. Primarily Atlantic League signings. There's been a lot of Frontier and a lot of American Association. They've happened throughout. And we're finally now into Atlantic League signing season. So we're kind of go through that because it also ties in to a trend here I've been noticing. And we'll talk about that in just a second after I run through the signings that I've seen over the past few days. So Somerset has signed Yovan Gonzalez. Not a surprise there. Veteran of the team. He was going to be back. Justin Pachitoli, again, not that surprising. He's been there for a little bit. And James Puglisi. Puglisi will be his second year there. He pitched in York the year prior. He needs a little bit of a rebound to get back to York form, but he pitched very well last year too, so he'll be a key part of that bullpen moving forward. Long Island signed uh, Vlad Frias. Their base for him last year was very good there. Uh, David Roseboom, the guy they got in the disposal draft. And then Brandon Feldman, I believe he was also another disposal draft signing. So they signed two other guys. Not bad. Not bad at all. Always going to have good arms. Absolutely. Yep. yep. High Point picked up John Bromnell. He signed towards the latter end of last year with them. And he was one of those guys like, eh, maybe, maybe not. Will he come back? Will he not? You know, that was touch and go there. Uh, Sugarland brings back Dennis Phipps, Albert Cordero, Juan Silverio, and Javier Betancourt. And those are all our main signings so far. No word from Southern Maryland. No word from either of the two Pennsylvania teams. And obviously the Road Warrior team we won't know until after the prospect I got showcase in about, uh, what was it, about a month? A month and so. a half? Yeah. yeah, something like that. Yeah, I believe it's in March. Yeah, I think it's in March. End of March, beginning of April, right on there. So a little bit more than a month. but Two months. Yeah. Any case, uh, guys that are notable that sign in other leagues that were former Atlantic Lakers, and this is where the trend's going to come in here. We saw Craig Massey, Telvin Nash, Alvaro Rendon, 
Dan Miner, Zach Sullivan being the main guys. Those are main guys that were mostly Atlantic Lakers. Sullivan split time between York and the Empire League last year. Later signing, but still. Right. Mm -hmm. Played well, though, when he was in... Exactly. Played well in York. Yeah, he did. We have two guys that are more or less uh, always been Winnipeg Gold Eyes that went back there, but they did split time in actually Southern Maryland last year. Mitch Lampson and Kevin McGovern. But all those guys departed the Atlantic League, and it just seemed like an awful lot of guys that all kind of left there. And high-quality, high-talent guys. I mean, Telvin Nash, probably the biggest name in the Atlantic League last year. Absolutely. And that's the thing, and that's the trend I want to go for. How much of this is dictated by the rules of these guys leaving? Now, Massey didn't have a great year, but he had a good previous year before that. So I would have thought someone would have taken him into the league. Instead, he goes back to the Frontier League. Now, it's going to be an exception for Southern Illinois. He's had time there, plenty of time there. Been also in Frontier League with the Miners there. So that one I can kind of see. Talvin Nash, I guess I can see that going to St. Paul, especially if they were offering more money. Alvaro and Doan's a bit surprising to go to Sioux Falls, but I guess I could see it. Dan Miner, again, goes to St. Paul. Uh, Sullivan, I forget where exactly I saw he was going, but he I think it was Lincoln in the American Association. So, again, there. And then the two pitches, McGovern and Lampson, were both back to Canada, Winnipeg specifically there. But it's just like, it's a. I wonder how much it is. I mean, I, I, at this point, all we can do is speculate. I'd love to have one of those guys reach out to us and let us know specifically what their reasons were and obviously those might be varied but i definitely think that the rules and the fluctuation of the rules has to be taken into account at this point in time i mean we can't say that we know for certain what rules the atlantic league will play by next year and that has to weigh on the mind on some of these guys especially the rumored ones and the ones we already know that went into effect yeah it definitely affects how you pitch i mean we definitely saw it with dan minor he did very well when he was in the American Association and other leagues like that. He pitched lights out, and then he goes to York, and he has an ERA of basically five, four ninety nine. So you know, because Price is Right rules. Um, <laughs> you see guys like that; they then go to that league, they deal with the weird rules and whatnot, and the potential for even more changing, and they don't do as well. I gotta think, at the very least, is maybe not the deciding factor, but something that gets factored in. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree a hundred percent. I don't think. I mean, I don't think anybody would sit there and go, the rules are 100% the only reason why oh, I absolutely am now, not. Uh, not no longer in the Atlantic League. But I do think that it's a factor, and especially for a guy like Nash, you know, you get that contract, maybe it's a little bit more money. You know, it's probably not as good from a player procurement standpoint and moving forward. I mean, probably, if I would argue that it's about the same. Maybe I mean, equally, York compared to St. Paul. St. Paul is one of the... St. Paul is a big deal, there's yeah. no doubt. Um, but If they would have been Lincoln, I would have said, yeah, I agree. But right. I'm, I got to think St. Paul gets just as many eyes as the Atlantic League. I, I, w- I would only say that the because of the agreement, there's oh, some the agree- kind yeah. of wink-wink, nudge-nudge yeah. with the agreement going on there. So maybe, but even still, like you're saying... There, just because of these rules, I think guys are just uncomfortable with it, and they're waiting to see. And I wouldn't be surprised if you see some of these guys mid-season, if all the rule things kind of settle down. They start to drift they back start, in, oh, they get, yeah. Yeah. You know, they get a little, they get their contract purchased by a couple of, couple of Atlantic League teams, I could see it. Yeah, but I could definitely see that too. And I'm not sure if this is an abnormally high amount or abnormally small amount, or basically what you'd expect at this point. But even still, it does seem a bit odd that you have a lot of guys that were fairly well known among fans of the Atlantic League that all kind of depart without seemingly any other team trying to grab them. That they just go off to the, basically, the cousin league of the Atlantic League. 
the league that we we were discussing this with Willie. He's like, yeah, really, the only thing that's keeping a lot of the go is just the travel sucks. Having to go from Winnipeg to Grand Prairie, Texas is not a fun bus ride. No. <laughs> so it's, you know, that, that part sucks. And with the Atlantic League, the worst travel you're really going to do is Long Island to High Point. I think with that, I think we can kind of wrap up the player signing portion and kind of move on to the namesake of this episode because I already know what it's going to be called. And the thing that really was getting people going on Wednesday, or not Wednesday, but Tuesday night, we have the new name of the Florence Freedom. It's the Florence Y'alls. Uh, announced at the town council meeting. They handed out shirts and whatnot if you stayed and attended there. They also had a cake. There's a whole big to-do about Ooh, it. a cake. Yep. Y'all the, cake. Yeah, it was. Our immediate reaction on social media was definitely mixed. It's definitely garnered a lot of publicity. Barstool picked it up. Uh, various other outlets picked it up. Uh, MLB.com has a thing on it. All sorts of things here. A lot of various online forums picked it up twitter went crazy with it instagram went crazy with it people love the name they like the merchandise which the merch does look nice but it, it does is, look nice yeah they aren't shy about their prices i'll say that much no um any event uh, so it's a whole lot about it i actually am going to make a video about this i put that up on instagram i was like do you want a video most people did so it's scripted and whatnot got to be recorded and whatnot but it'll be up at some point in the next week or two any case Personally, we've said on this show before that we didn't like any of the names because none of the names were great. When you learn about the history behind y'all, it makes it better, but it still does, not yeah. uh, wonderful. Uh, in <laughs> any case, I don't hate this. No, nope. I I used to not like it, and I saw a lot of people, and there are, I don't want to say a lot of people because some people online were really going into it. They wanted the team to go bankrupt and shit like that. There were some and some like, unfortunate souls, and if you really genuinely believe that, screw you. Like, I'm just going to be honest with you. These are real people's lives here. These are people's careers that are yeah. trying to either get back into affiliated baseball or even on the flip side of it, they want to get into sports as a business that work for the team. And there's a lot of people that do make their livelihood on this. Right. Or they're simply putting food on the table, making their livelihood doing this. And so, no, obviously, exactly. those people are not within the realm of Exactly. Re- We're just going to kind of throw them out we'll there. throw them out. They're, but, they're not realistic. But I want to address them or just screw you if you actually believe that. It's ridiculous. <laughs> you have no perspective. Right. In any case, for the people that just don't like it, I get it. It's not a great name if you wanted something more serious, you want something more professional, but at the same time, it is minor league baseball. It is independent league baseball. You need publicity. It's a new ownership group that's coming in. They want to put their stamp on it. They want to put their brand on it. Go, the past 17 years or however many years, they started in 03, so I believe it's about 17, They those were great years. We respect that past. We understand it. We know why you're attached to it. Most of you probably have some form of attachment to that name. But we want to say we're going into a new era now. This is a new saga. This is a new ownership. Everything's going to be new now. So we want a new name. We want a new brand. We want a new identity to say this is where the the kind of jumping off point is. Also, it relates to the community a lot more. It got a lot of people talking. And people talk. People buy merch. People go to games. It brings it more money, and you need money, especially in independent league baseball, but in anything in general. So I really don't 
don't see the problem with it. Plus, it's not like you were canceling some sort of great name or traditional name. Like, if the Ducks changed their name or something like that, then I understand right. the uproar. If the Patriots changed their name, this would be a different story. And I, I agree with your points. I, yeah. like, I think that you make a good good argument. I initially didn't like it. I thought initially it would it was a mistake. However, I stand corrected on two counts. On the first count, I stand corrected because it generated way more of a marketing buzz than I thought it would. I thought it would fall flat on its face. And the reason for that gives into my next mea culpa because, simply put, I didn't understand the cultural context of the water tower and how this has become symbolic for the town. Now, the idyllic name of Freedom is a really... Really great name. I thought it was a very good marketing thing to begin with. And it is, you know, obviously tied directly into the idea of our nation and, you know, all of those values that we as Americans hold mm-hmm. dear. So I like that for those reasons. However, upon taking another look at y'all's, I like it in the context of Florence. Okay. If this was anywhere else and any other team, I would excoriate them. I mean, it would be bad. I would go off. However, given the cultural context at play, I think it is necessary to take those into account and to think about it as on the on a promotional way that it is now stirred up all of this promotional energy and people are now talking about it and interested in Florence Yalls and also from a cultural perspective. It fits the community. It fits the community and I've seen a lot of people in the community actively happy about it and to me, how am I going to in New Jersey tell someone who's in Kentucky what their baseball team should be named. I mean, I can't. <laughs> and I've seen across online, you'll see in the video, a lot of people that aren't from the Cincinnati area, which is basically where Florence is. Right. They're like, I love this. I'm going to be buying it. Do they ship to Canada? I want to, I want merchandise. I want a hat. I want a shirt. I want whatever. Right. It's clearly, it's, it's popular. It's popular. And I mean, like, let's be honest here. The previous logo wasn't that great. It wasn't. The jersey design, it was simple and it was fine, but it wasn't standout-ish. I mean, a lot of teams use black, white, and red. Yeah. Those are three of the most common colors you're going to see in a logo. New Jersey Jackals. Exactly. And like you're saying, it fits the community. It yep. fits the local culture. It's the same thing where if a team goes to Atlantic City, if you call them the Black Jacks, you call them the Aces, you call them the Surf or whatever it may be, you expect it's a beachside town that's or not town, it's a city. That's known for gambling and casinos. So Absolutely. if you call them the Atlantic City Gamblers, or like even you just call them the Jacks for say like a skipjack or a yeah. uh, or whatever it may be, yeah, or Jack, Jack of Clubs, Jack, Jack of Daw, yeah, the Bird, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, and like if you call them the Atlantic City Jacks, which should be the name now that we think about it, yeah, but pretty you, cool. call, you call them the Jacks, it, it fits, it right. makes sense. So you can't really be upset that they pick the name that fits the community the most. Yep, uh, I agree, and I think. You know, again, by the fact that it's making us talk about it, they've won. They've already made their point. They've oh, already yeah. done it's, what they meant to do. It's all over the place. They're getting a lot of publicity from it. It's a good thing for them. And I do understand why people don't like it. You get attached to that name of it. And it's been there, especially if you're if you're a younger person, you're born post-2000. You're in this kind of new age where you've grown up only knowing the team has one name. It seems so bizarre and odd for it. And I totally get it to them, especially if you're in that kind of Cincinnati area, because yeah. really professional team wise, what do you have? The Bengals and the Reds as a major sport team. There's uh-huh. no basketball team in the, no hockey team in Cincinnati. That's, that's uh, Ohio. 
Yes, but it, Florence is right next to Cincinnati. Oh, is it? Is it really in That's, Cincinnati? Yeah, I said that earlier. I said it's basically Cincinnati. Ah, it's about twenty minutes it, away. It, it's northern Kentucky. Ah, yeah, that's why I was confused. I was like, "Wait a minute!" You're like, why is he talking about Cincinnati? <laughs> no, you're good. It's the same general thing. Right. So, really, you grow up being a Bengals fan and a Reds fan. So, there's oh, really boy. nothing else there. Even still, there, that's all you you know. Those are your two sports teams. So, you probably do value these minor league teams a lot more than someone from you know northern New Jersey, where you have Rangers, Islanders, Devils. Oh yeah, you have the Knicks, the Nets. The Jets, the Giants, Yankees, Mets. You oh, have yeah. so many. You have a spoil of them. Hell, even you have now a professional lacrosse team on the yeah. island. <laughs> yeah. You have everything you want there. So it's, I truly do get the point. I get why you'd be upset about it. So, that, I mean, obviously that's really, again, if it fits the, the, the town, if it, if it fits the culture of what that little town in northern Kentucky is going for yeah. and then w- w- how are we to say in New Jersey that you shouldn't name your team that absolutely if this is the move the owners want to make I think that's fine with me exactly so I think wrapping it up at first didn't really like the name at all now it's growing on me more agreed is the accomplishment's goal which is to get people talking about it, get merchandise sold and get butts in the seats and frankly if the locals like it which they seemingly do then hey go for it yeah agreed all right, so we got a whole bunch of other topics here, and I was going to just toss them into a rapid-fire thing here, but we have an update on one situation that was in the rapid-fire. I'm going to talk about it now. It's an actual segment, then we'll go to like a, I don't know, call it a six, seven-minute rapid-fire to get through everything else, and then wrap up the show from there. But at first, Wally Backman was going to be a rapid-fire topic because we didn't really have much one way or the other. We finally do have a decision on him, so we're going to just kind of bump him up real quick, give our two, three minutes spiel on him and move along, because I really don't like talking about things that aren't baseball related, but he is the manager of a, not only a Atlantic League franchise, but the one that won the championship, and uh, as we know, he had some issues back in August, end of August the 30th, uh, involving his, I believe, living girlfriend there. He was charged with... Uh, several things here then he testified a couple days ago he opted for a bench trial as opposed to a jury trial so the ducks have been standing behind him all the way through and then it just came down while we were recording actually that he was found uh not guilty on the charges there and then the ducks issued a statement i'll read the statement that comes from long island ducks i believe president and gm michael faff as follows Based on the information we made, we were made aware of on August 30th and have discovered since, we have complete confidence that today's decision exonerating Wally Backman of these fraudulent charges would ultimately be the outcome of this case. We stood behind Wally because our belief in his innocence and in every person's right to due process. Now that he has been found innocent, we hope that the media coverage of Wally's exoneration will be as though as the coverage has afforded the false accusations. We appreciate the support of the Ducks fans and look forward to getting back on the field May 1st to start another great season of Ducks baseball. See, in these instances, and, and I don't know the specific nature of the charges. Um, uh, then let me just kind of preface Yeah, it. please preface that. Essentially, what was claimed was that he came back uh, drunk one night after a game, got into an altercation with his girlfriend that wound up having him throw her into a wall. And then she got some cuts and bruises and whatnot. And then she took his keys and his phone so he couldn't leave and called the cops. The cops came. I believe they detained him, brought him in. Then he was out the same day and was actually coaching the same day. 
to drive. I was like, oh, that's a 24 hours there. It's a turnaround. That is a 24 hour turnaround. And so, then that's what happened. Then we went through the whole process and now we're at this right. point. Yeah, I, I do remember the, the, the incident. I didn't yeah. know what the exact charges were yeah. against him. Um, but what I will say is that, you know, you always need to be careful in these situations. Obviously, respect the court's ruling uh, on these matters, but not having actually been there, it is difficult to really give any, uh, you know, one way or the other analysis on it. All that I will say is that it's important to listen to all parties involved, especially in these circumstances. Um, obviously, due process is extremely important, but again, it is important to listen to all parties involved uh, in these type of instances. Exactly. The court went through their process. They found uh, what they thought was enough, or what the bench judge determined was enough to well, find him not guilty. And if that's what the court found, then that's what the court found. I respect the judgment of that court. And hey, it, we went through the process. We It was a fair process. It got through fairly quickly, to be quite honest. I mean, basically September 1st to what's like the last week in January. It's not bad. It's not bad that it, there's nothing yeah. nothing that I can say that I, I don't have enough this, information to judge exactly from uh, what, what, anything but what the judge is saying. Hopefully all parties have been heard, um, and that's it. All you can say is Wally Backman at this point in time being exonerated absolutely deserves to keep his job as manager of the mm-hmm. Ducks until something informationally changes. Exactly. And I got to say, uh, I'm kind of surprised Long Island uh, stuck with him for that long. I am as well. I mean, when you get a charge like that, especially nowadays, normally the, the move is just to cut bait, especially on this level where the publicity backlash is going to be more than sticking with your guy and they've been rewarded for that he comes out not guilty they got a championship from it and they got one of the better managers in the league now which to me tells me that they had some level of confidence that this was not uh, that this was going to be the outcome right that this would be the outcome um so again like i said these are always difficult circumstances to talk about but it is important to get all the facts and all the information and the respect the court's decision until you know maybe an appeal or further complaint is filed Mm. All right, so now I think we can move to the rapid-fire section here. We'll try and knock out all these other topics in, what do we say, five minutes? Let's I think, do it. I, let's see if we can't knock through everything here in five minutes, and if we can't get to it in five minutes, then it wasn't that important to begin with. So, all right. <laughs> I got my timer right here. It's set to five minutes exactly. When I hit start, we'll run through all of them, and when we get to the end of it, we will be done. We will go ahead, use our, do our usual send-off, so, in any case, here we go. Three, two, one. Topic one. So, there may be a brewery opening across from the new Gastona ballpark. I gonna, like the sound in, of that. Yep, they're in discussion. It's going to be part of a 16-acre property to Ooh. try and redevelop the area. I assume it's not going to take up 16 acres. That'd be a ridiculously That would be a That's big like a Budweiser brewery, plan. yeah. Uh, so, I assume it's going to be a local craft brewery. It's going to try to be the thing that kind of kicks off the redevelopment land. I do like it. I think I love it presents it. a partnership opportunity with the team and that. Plus, it's another thing to get younger people in to Gastona, into that area. Yep. And you figure, hey, while we're here, why not see a ball game? I think this is going to work really well. And who doesn't love beer? Come on now. So that's a, that's a good thing right there. I like it. Enjoy and responsibly. I, 21 enjoy and up. Enjoy responsibly. 21 and up. Good times. Let's have them. And I think it's a, it's a fun uh, way to make the community and the team kind of energized. Exactly. The only thing I'm concerned about is that I hope it doesn't go like high points, uh, stadium or not saying the uh, hotel and whatnot that was supposed to be there oh yeah kind of fell through remember that yeah yeah yeah, i hope it doesn't go like that yeah i hope it 
actually happens. <laughs> exactly. Uh, next thing up here, the Southern Illinois Miners are doing their secondhand equipment giveaway on the 29th of February. I forgot, it's a leap year this year. Oh, there you go. Yep, it'll be at 9 a.m. They're collecting secondhand equipment or new equipment. They'll distribute them to families that have a hard time affording that to try and give more kids the opportunity to play baseball or softball. So if you have equipment there, donations can be made at the ballpark at any rent one store in the area. And I also believe River Radio in Carterville as well. And that's why these teams are so important to the community right there. I mean, that's really cool. And everyone, make sure to donate your secondhand equipment. Yep, exactly. So if you're in the Southern Illinois area, go for it. I also believe there's a little bit of a thing in Florida with one of the pitchers. I think it was Zach Westcott, but I'm not 100% certain. But if you go to his Instagram, there should be something there as well. So next thing up, the Patriots are holding an all-decade team voting. It will end on April Fool's Day, so the fourth or the first of April. And some of the players already have been disqualified because of their relationship with the team, which is great. I clicked on the little voting link, scroll to the bottom to see if it would say when specifically they denounced the team. Right. It just said no no date, but it said due to some players standing with the team. They have been disqualified from voting. Oh, no. <laughs> so I assume that means uh, we were negotiating a contract with them and it didn't uh, go well for either party. So they're not on this list. Well, that's not great. But anyway, so but definitely make sure to vote for that. That'll be a lot of fun to kind of pick and choose your favorite Somerset Patriots. Exactly. Try and get that all-star, that uh, all-decade team. Probably will be announced on opening day. Hopefully, we'll get to see it then, and uh, we'll know more then. You want to vote, it's on their website. Just go to the Patriots website there. So, we have the Sugarland Skeeters. They're installing a new video board on their giant Texas-shaped scoreboard. It will be in for opening day, but it's going to be a high-quality one, a Dactronic. So, basically, a higher-quality version of the one that is in New Jersey's stadium. like this a lot. I like it a lot. I think the that is all part of the experience. And the better video board you have, the more fun you can do videos and all these cool things. I love the video boards. It's a great investment for the team. Exactly. we got 90 seconds here, so we got two more to go, so we can take a little bit of time with them. Ooh, slow it down. Yeah. Uh, we have the Frontier League All-Star break. We know the date now. It will be the July 30, 13th, so July 13th through July 16th. So the first two days are just break days, travel days, but the four... But the 15th and 16th are the kind of pre-game festivities and the game itself. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be a lot of fun, obviously. Uh, don't know where it's going to be we yet. We don't know but. where it's going to be yet, but that's going to be a lot of fun wherever it is. And we're looking forward to uh, the potential of attending it, uh, depending on how things shake out. Exactly. And if not, we'll be in Southern Maryland for the... Uh, Atlantic Lake one, which one is where we're trending other, to, baby. which is probably where we're trending to right now. Come on. We did a Can-Am Frontier oh, last true. year, so yeah. fairness there. Come Four, on, Pinch! Yeah, 40 seconds left here. The Boulders will play the Israeli Olympic team on the 13th of July at 7 o'clock. The following day, they will play the NY, I believe, PD or FD uh, baseball team as well in the tune-up game. Uh, great for the community. You always like to see Olympic quality talent there. You'll see guys like Ty Kelly, Danny uh, Valencia, and I believe it was uh, Langaway, yep. the former Red Sox catcher. Yep. So, so you got fantastic for the community. Obviously, really a good, talented team there. The Israeli team is actually very talented. They did a good job in the World Baseball Classic a few years ago. And uh, yeah, that's going to be all for the time. Exactly. Three, two, and one. We got through it. 
So just like that, we get through our rapid fire. We covered everything that wasn't really worth the whole segment, but it was worth enough to talk about. Um, yeah, I think we did a good job with that. I think a lot so. Of as exciting well. stuff there. A lot of exciting stuff. That was fun. Let us know if you like the rapid fire and you'd like us to continue to do such rapid fire. And because I think before we do do the whole sign off and everything, we should talk a little bit about the anniversary show that we'll do next week. No real plans for that yet. So we'll probably just do a regular kind of uh, recap thing. May talk about some of the, may do like our uh, autopsy of teams like we did last year for the first show. Yeah. Maybe do that. Maybe just do like that uh, shitty reminiscing thing that all shows do when we get to the one year thing. That's kind of fun. Yeah, that could be cool. Exactly. So it's going to be kind of an oddball thing, but I figured we'd just toss it out there. Episode 48 will be our uh, one year anniversary show. It will actually be out on the day that we recorded the first show because, you know, that's how days work. Oh, there you go. But the only thing I can promise that we'll do is we'll do the one thing that we did the previous show. And if you were listening since about probably episode 10 or so, you'll probably remember the segment called Seventh Inning Stretch. That oh, we eventually- the Seventh Inning Stretch. Remember that we cut that because we actually started getting topics to talk about. That's true, yes. Yeah, so we'll probably bring that back just to discuss the Super Bowl because... I think that's going to be our thing. Yeah, we got to do, got to do that every year. That'll be a lot of fun. Um, and the other thing that I want to do is I want to okay. go back over some of my rather bad takes. Um, and we're going to have to go through like 50. Uh, do you remember how we put that warning in in the beginning? Don't go the more than two hours a week. Uh, yeah. I'm going to have to do like 50 hours of this show be in one week. The worst part about that is when I go through and listen to it, I'm going to listen to the terrible audio quality and the kind of bumbling and hearing the heat go on, the uh, air conditioner go on yes. in the background before I realize, turn that off before you start recording. Ah, uh, you know, that, hear the rookie traffic. mistakes. I mean, to be fair, we've only been doing it for like a year. So but we're getting there. We're getting experience. We're so glad everybody has stuck with us to this point. We love doing it and we will continue to bring you all the best indie ball coverage that we can muster. Exactly. In all seriousness, we do enjoy doing this show for the past year. I know we went on the hiatus in July, even still, despite that, the 11 months of constantly doing the show. And we've done more than 52 episodes, I think, because of the two, two parters. Right. And the preview show it brings us up to about the, actually 52 will be the, yeah, it'd be the 52nd episode we release next week. So it's essentially like, you know, right. uh, doing one a week for a year. So it, it's been a year for all intents and purposes here. And we do appreciate you doing it. We enjoy doing it. We're seeing independent league baseball one way or the other. So why not talk about Why not have a conversation about it? You know, we've met some really interesting people doing it. We have. Uh, both on Twitter and in person. Seeing a lot of cool things here. And with some of the stuff that we're primed for for 2020, we're going to take that next step. Absolutely. We're going to do a lot more content. I definitely want to get more involved on the social media, which is something we weren't doing until really the last few months. Yep. Uh, definitely more on the YouTube, more articles. I definitely want to push more content out. Obviously, it's not exactly easy to push out that much stuff because to write a quality article, it takes a couple of days. It takes a day or two to, to find the topic you want, another day or two to plan it out, do the research for it. And then you don't like to just write it and put it right up. You like to let it sit for at least a day. Stew on it a little bit, yeah. Exactly. Read through and go, ah, the phrasing isn't great. Let me rephrase that. Or, ah, it's a little too long. Let me see if I can't cut some of it out. So it's not great there. And editing, it, it takes a bit of time there to find the B-roll, find the story, do the voiceover for it, put it all together, put it out there. And, and then immediately once you're done too, you look and go, ah. Could have been better. It could have been better. That's the curse of creating anything. That's you, the curse of creating anything. Of, exactly. It goes out, you're happy with it. Then you look and you watch something else, you go, 
my thing doesn't look nearly as good as that <laughs> thing does. But, you know, I definitely want to get more involved with it. And I do. I think we both do very much appreciate the, the people that tune in and listen. Absolutely. Whether it's the people in the very beginning that were listening and then we kind of trailed off and then we got back and then we trailed off again. But there's always been that core group of people and we appreciate you the most because you've stuck in there with us through terrible audio quality, terrible radio deal filler episodes, <laughs> all sorts of other things all the way to where we're at now. And the people that are newer, they're just jumping on or just catching up. We appreciate you all the same. And we hope to have you for another year plus because we're not slowing down anytime soon. Not anytime soon. All right. So with that, I think we can now go and get our plugs and get out of here. As you know, you can find us on Twitter at IndieBallPod. You can find us on Instagram at IndieBallReport, which as of recent, I've been doing a lot of like these little card things and doing player breakdowns of each of the transactions throughout the day. So, and those are fantastic, by the way. Yep. I try to do my best with it and just kind of give you a quick two or three sentence overview of the player and the transactions that happen and what you can look forward to for them. So definitely follow us on Instagram to see that. Uh, also on the Instagram stories, I post the transactions as we see them. That will go up there and actually I'll have to put up uh, the geeky one see? as soon as we go off. But follow us at Indie Ball Report on Instagram for all of that. Uh, the YouTube channel is Indie Ball Report uh, podcast on YouTube. I need to, I probably should change that to just Indie Ball Report. But regardless, you can find us there and get all of our videos up in your subscription feed right there. Or you can just go to the website, IndieBallReport.com. Episodes are there. Uh, I recently redid it so that the show notes are in a better way so you don't have to scroll all the way through. It's collapsible text now, so you can just kind of click on the one you want to see. Uh, same thing with the articles. They're in collapsible text and on the website as well there, too. Videos are there as well. Everything's there. And if we have any plans, so when we decide which All-Star game we're going to, which we're doing Southern Maryland, we should probably plan that fairly soon. Probably, yes. We should probably talk to Andrew about getting us the credentials for that as well. Probably, yes. Yeah, I, we'll get that in order over the next couple weeks there. Yeah, that would so That way we could, if we need a hotel or whatever, we'd probably do. Because I don't see either one of us driving down there and back in one day. That's not going to happen, Skip. Exactly. So that's not going to be a thing. So we'll have to... We'll work out that we'll plan. Work that out. Once we get off here, we're going to work this out. Yep. Any case, so any events and stuff like that, they'll also be on the website as well. So the Twitter, the Instagram, the uh, website, the YouTube channel, and then obviously the podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on TuneIn. We're on Stitcher, Google Play, or Google Podcasts, whichever it may be this week, Spotify. Uh, we're basically anywhere you can find a podcast. We would appreciate a subscribe, a like, a follow, and a review. Reviews help push us up through the algorithm. So the more reviews we get, and preferably five-star reviews if you could, would definitely help out the cause, get more people to the show. And the more people we have, the more clout we have, and the more fun things we can do, the more player interviews we can get, the more on-field access we get, the more we can make the kind of loftier goals we have for 2020 a reality. So we'd appreciate that a lot absolutely we appreciate that a lot make sure you're following all those things make sure you check out pinch the blue crab because he is the best mascot in the atlantic ladies no swatson shh don't talk any case i assume that's what you had to add that's what i had to add all right so then we'll end this show like we end every show don't forget to play ball